In the Worldwide C-Suite Tech Survey by IDC, 59% of respondents acknowledge that digital initiatives are now co-owned by the C-Suite or line of business. More and more C-Suite roles are gravitating around technology and CIOs are rising, more than ever, to the call of technology leadership. Together, they are modernizing their organization's digital core and scaling innovation. Asia-Pacific Japan C-Suite's top tech investments include Gen AI, automation, and cybersecurity, while top CIO technology priorities include IT and cloud operations, cybersecurity and compliance, hardware and software support, among other things. Future CIO recently spoke to Linus Lai, Vice President for Digital Business and Trust for IDC Asia-Pacific, to get his perspective on a number of technology trends and their impact on the enterprise in 2024. So uh, thanks for your time today. We have you know, just uh, finished our Future Enterprise Awards. I know, Mike, we had close to 1,000 nominations this year across the whole region. And, you know, we actually had so many good nominations this year as well, because it was, you know, to me, a maturity of, you know, enterprises in their capability to deliver new digital business models, right? And we're starting to see, of course, how Gen AI can even, you know, deliver and help deliver not just productivity gains, but also help organizations think about, again, new business models as well. So I thought that it was a really great uh, year for nominees. My hero right now is a lady by the name of Lydia Fonseca, who is from Pfizer. She's the Chief Digital and Technology Officer from Pfizer. And she recently said that it's not about creating a digital strategy for our business, but about creating a business strategy for a digital world. I'm happy to report that uh, we can actually talk about business as usual, right? Instead of just focusing on the act of transformation, especially transformation in silos. So we basically define a digital business as the a one that uses right a business-led approach to value creation based on the use of digital technologies and in Asia right now, we predict that by 2026, right, 40% of enterprise revenues will be generated from digital products, services, and experiences. Among the submissions to the IDC Future Enterprise Awards for 2023, at least those that use some form of AI, are these organizations jumping the gun given that AI is still very nascent as a technology with little on the side of governance and frameworks? Yeah, that's a good question because when it was open for nominations, you know, obviously there were lots of use of AI. And like you said, Gen AI really burst upon the scene this year, right? And because it's done so and captured the imagination of the business, we saw businesses obviously dipping their toes and by and large, very interested in it. About 70% said that they would actually be very interested and would, you know, be willing to use it, right? In either their operations or their business models but fairly few of them would have done something about it. So let me give you an example of an organization that won 
an award this year. And that's actually a top five clinic in the world right now. It's a private clinic for fertility and it's headquartered in Melbourne originally, uh, but it's obviously global right now in five countries. And they've over the years developed their own fertility digital platform, which they call the Precision Fertility Digital Platform. And the company's name is Virtus Health. And they started using the advanced capabilities of GPT-4 because prior to GPT-4, they were actually already using predictive ML and machine vision. And you can imagine you, you use machine vision in looking at the health of the embryos, for example. And it's the same way that you would use at, uh, AI in radiology. But GPT-4 was a game changer for the organization because it brought in considerable value in processing large amounts of medical history data and providing a swift preliminary overview of the patient's fertility profile. So it's designed to process a wide array of information sources, including electronic health records, doctor's notes, lab results, you know, and even patient self-reported data, and then extract and synthesize the relevant details related to fertility. And of course, by doing so, and of course, combining it with other AI that it has developed over the years, it's now capable of identifying patterns and correlations that might be overlooked by manual analysis, actually. And the kicker is obviously, you know, for those who are acceptable to use AI and generative AI for perhaps better reliability and responsiveness in some of the treatments, then, you know, they might actually lower the cost of the treatment or open up a new product or service to underserved customer segments or different customer segments, right, in that company. So it's a really interesting time we're living in, Alan. Would you know there are any concerns regarding these so-called hallucinations that might be a byproduct of the data that these AI algorithms are using? Yeah, for sure. So they've obviously not used public data in order to do the analysis. They're using the model, of course, um, but they're training it and fine-tuning it and obviously doing a lot of the analysis based on private data. It is the question that most enterprises are asking right now of their vendors and services providers, which is, I like what the model can do, but, you know, I'd like it to be used in a very private manner. So that's essentially where I think um, a lot of these types of projects will, will start. Since we're yes. still talking about the Future Enterprise Awards, what's the overriding theme, if there is, uh, from a CIO perspective? Well, we've had uh, several categories uh, ranging from the future of work, right, to the future of operations, to the future of customer, to the future of digital infrastructure, and so on and so forth. You know, the maturity was shown in the fact that organizations were now moving away from siloed innovation in very specific business units or in specific projects into real changes that could impact on business models and operating models. And as a result, right, we saw organizations really change their organization model as well. So I'll give you another example. Organizations that on average, right, were leaders, right, in their space. And we are using now the C-suite study that we ran. And it's our research on DX executives, which are, you know, leaders in their field. Digital leaders on average are already getting about 47% 
of their revenues from digital product services and experiences, at least originated right from digital product services and experiences compared to the rest of the market or their peers, which is at around 30% or so. So when I talked about business model impact, one of the good examples was the Hotai Group. And the Hotai Group was established in 1947 out of Taiwan. And it was, you know, the first overseas distributor for Toyota. Now, today, they are actively developing a mobility as a service platform, which is centered around customer experience and the creation right, of that 360-degree uh, digital ecosystem, which allows it to shift from a vehicle-centric business model to a customer-centric business model. So as a result, it's delivering mobility, sharing services. It's got 5,000 over vehicles for its iRent car rental platform. It's got right hail services right it's got even digital payments and now it's going into e-commerce and integrated uh, travel planning as well because you know just like the Michelin guide right it started for motorists right and now it's booking accommodation and arranging transportation and exploring local attractions as well so it's actually attracted quite a lot of hundreds of millions of you know local uh, revenue growth right because it successfully pivoted its business model to a new business model and that's the impact that we're seeing this year because organizations are now less interested in dealing with projects in silos how is this shift in operating model impact the office of the chief information officer for sure. In fact, um, again, our research right from the C-suite tax survey this time, which was conducted just recently, and we had about over 200 executives answer this question. Most of the digital initiatives today are actually owned not by IT, but by the C-suite and line of business, or jointly owned by the C-suite line of business and IT, or at least orchestrated by the C-suite team. So in terms of pro- Project execution, just solely IT ownership, is now at 41%, and C-suite execution is now at 59% across the region. So it's a fairly healthy indication of the maturity of business now, right, to run transformation and, of course, execute on digital strategy. Uh, And that's why it's become a business model and an operating model priority, because then we're focusing now on operational excellence you know, and business strategy uh, execution as well as, you know, not just on the digital side. So therefore, I think we're actually in a good position right now. And IT leaders understand and know that they're also elevated as a result, right? Because now they're elevated to, like you say, be a business transformation enabler for the business instead of just running IT, you know, just sort of like taking care of the data center, you know, uh, et cetera, et cetera. As a result, CISOs as well are now, I don't know if you noticed, but on average, CISOs are now talking to their bots a lot more often. They're mm. very often uh, standing in front of their bots once a month just to give, you know, some reporting and just some education as well. And obviously some business cases, right, for some investment as they digitize more. Because obviously, you know, as you do that, your risk and, you know, also increases, right? Like customer data privacy and third-party supply chain risk, etc. So um, that's definitely what's happening as well. Does this model where you have a stronger influence by non-IT, non-security into how IT operates to support, to enable the business, does it make the office of the CIO and the CISO less agile, less effective? 
Well, you, you're right about before the pandemic, you know, a lot of enterprises saw what was being done right in the US and so it was being done in Silicon Valley and they tried to emulate some of the agile methodologies and frameworks in some cases with spectacular failures as well, you know, and having got it right, maybe in the second or third iteration, the pandemic obviously drove everyone to do it remotely. And we saw a lot of new technologies that enable agile teams to get together. But obviously now we've seen because of these changes and the scale in which revenues are now derived from digital products, services and experiences, organizations know that agile methodologies are here to stay and extremely important. And that's why security now plays a very important role as they start to shift left uh, instead of being only involved at the end, you know, when sort of like the team chucks, you know, the application over the fence to them to for review, they're actually much more involved upfront now. And that's why from a CIO pr priorities perspective, in our C-suite tech survey, the same survey that I talked about, while the business are very, very interested in generative AI automation, cybersecurity, ESG, and low-code, no-code technologies, CIOs are still the custodians of the platforms and the architecture in order to support the business. So now they are still very much focused on cloud operations, cybersecurity and compliance, you know, infrastructure and software services and data analysis and management and code creation and dev ops as well, you know, to get that agility. For the first time, we've actually seen low-code, no-code and code creation and DevOps sort of like appear on both sides in the top five, on the business side and on the IT side. You have this business IT collaboration that's starting to gel better, to deliver on the value that IT is supposed to do. Are there any best practices for ensuring that the IT team is able to collaborate effectively? Well, actually, I was in Manila last week and I asked Dennis O'Miller from Union Bank. You know, Dennis O'Miller is the Chief Information and Operations Officer for Union Bank. And, you know, he said that there's actually two spectrums and there's no right answer, right? So on one side is the business team that's very used to chucking requirements over to IT and IT being the hero would say, yeah, you know, leave it with me. I'll get it done and I'll deliver it to you, right? And obviously then there's priorities and, you know, governance needs, needs to run across that, which is not wrong. And then you've got, like you say, teams that are perhaps a lot more mature and they're orchestrated across, right? A joint ownership and function, and it's a tug of value. So the business brings with it its knowledge and understanding of what needs to transform Right. Let's say from an operating model perspective, if I was the CFO and I'm leading a finance transformation, it's no longer just about getting the latest finance or ERP application, you know, or, you know, modernizing our chart of account. It's about modernizing the way revenue assurance is done. It's about looking at tax and compliance differently. And it's about transforming risk as well. And the CFO then pairs with the CIO, right, in order to draw the outcomes. The CIO is obviously really, really good on the platform side. From a CIO perspective, the design principles, right, of the platform, you know, being cloud native, trusted, agile, modular, intelligent, etc., is what they bring to the table. They're also very good with um, agile methodologies, right, and frameworks. While obviously in that example, which I've done a couple of case studies, the CFO actually brings that finance transformation toolkit and experience to drive the changes within the finance organization itself to such an extent that they actually get to choose, right? the ERP vendor and even the services provider with the CIO. So I think there's vast spectrums, right? As Dennis mentioned, 
and there's no wrong answer. But we're starting to see organizations, you know, as I said, uh, based on our data, migrate more to the one on the right as they start to increase in maturity. How does this impact budgeting from an IT perspective? Who controls IT budgets now? Because there's an IDC press release that said there's uh, more influence on the part of the C-suites on what budgets are approved. Yes, for sure. So two, there's a bank in Singapore and a very large manufacturer here in Australia that the CFOs led the finance transformation. So they control just the vendor, but the services provider as well. And we're starting to see a lot more of that. So yes, IDC Research does uh, point to that where you see from a spend perspective, from our spending guides, you'll see the balance shift towards um, the business. So obviously the value realization, right? It's not one of, again, IT platforms necessarily, but it's one of the business model and the operating model, right? Efficiencies and transformation that they're going to get. And that's very, very important. That's why in our research, you know, and this year I focused on not just the spend, but how the digital initiatives were going to be managed. Accountability. If business gets to decide more and more what technology they spend on, who they spend it with. That's a good question. So if you're doing you know, these types of business transformation, whether you're building a supply chain control tower, you are looking at the digital patient journey, right, in a hospital, the business has to be responsible, right, uh, in order for these use cases to be adopted, right? IT also being responsible for the platform components, right, the infrastructure, the application operations, the integration, you know, that's needed, right? Uh, most applications don't stand alone and a lot of external data from the ecosystem is now needed to drive digital business outcomes. I've got another study that says that, you know, if you're thinking about integrating data, it's not internal data that you have to think about anymore. It's about data from your external ecosystem partners, like in the healthcare industry, that be the re- your radiologists, your clinicians, um, your pharmacies, right, and, and the hospitals itself. So a lot of integration needs to happen. And that's, you know, the domain of IT. IT is really, really good when it comes to data engineering platforms, to data fabric, and now with AI, the governance, right, of AI models, as well as the use, right, of private and public data. So you can obviously uh, rely on IT for the application development stack, but the business is the one that's actually driving the outcomes, whether it's, you know, um, revenue revenue outcomes or risk outcomes as well, like in that finance example that I gave. There's uh, some studies that said finance people, the CFO specifically, need to have a bit of technology in order to be effective in understanding where the technology direction for the organization is. Should the rest of the business do the same? Do they need to take a little bit of tech enough to understand and be able to tell the this is what we think needs or this technology I think will help us? No, yeah, for sure. You know, like I said, whether you're trying to, you know, effect change, right, in supply chain operations, you know, or logistics and transportation, businesses are getting much more savvy, right, on the use of digital technologies. Uh, But more importantly, they're also beginning to understand how 
data, right, plays a very important role and how they can trust data a lot more now to affect and make decisions faster or at least build new business models faster even because in the past, data was sort of like this, you know, do we, was sort of like used for reporting or used for analytics purposes, you know, and there was a trust issue, obviously, in terms of, look, we know better as a business while the data says that, you know, this is how we think, you know, businesses, we should run the operations. But once we come to a much more intelligent, you know, and trusted understanding, right, of how, how important data is and what roles data play in organizations, we're actually starting to see a new role for data. And data is now, like I said, coming in from the ecosystem and feeding into new business models or the operating models that I talked about, uh, which in the past, you know, wouldn't have been done in real time. That Hotai example, you know, in order to deliver mobility as a service, you have to now take a very different lens on the use of data to drive new business models. So Mel's question for you is, how do you envision the role of the CIO or CISOs changing around 10, from 10 years from now? How is it evolving? That's actually well documented in our future CIO research. And the future CIO research talks about a future where CIOs are, you know, like I said, an enabler for business transformation. In fact, the CEO survey that we ran, we actually asked the CEO this question, what are your expectations of a CIO today? And number one, we expect the CIO to modernize all of these legacy platforms that we are dealing with. You can, you know, have a really great front end, but if you don't modernize the middle and the back office, you won't be able to deliver these new digital business models. The future CIO is is one that's, you know, focused on leadership. It's focused on the vision, the governance, the resilience, you know, the strategic architecture and technology, as well as the sourcing of the talent and teams, right, to drive these types of outcomes for the business. And that's why we think they're very, very important because they are actually building these new digital business platforms right, for their companies. These are platforms that are not something that you buy off the shelf. You know, if you were Hotai, again, or if you were Virtus Health, it's not something that you go to a vendor and say, hey, you know, I want one fertility digital business platform, please. You don't do that. You actually have to build, right, the digital business platform that's just right for your business using all of the collection of tools that you have out there and, you know, which are uh, very particularly cloud native today. So the architects of the future, for sure, to support these business models. That's a great mm -hmm. question. We're Coming into 2024, in the short term, what is your advice for both the technology leadership as well as the rest of the business, including the CFOs, as it relates to technology investments? Where, where should be, they be directing their attention to in the coming year? Well, the top two from the C-suite, from the business, tells us that it's going to be focused on generative AI and automation in the short term. I like to think of generative AI as the nice shiny object, right, that everyone's looking at, but um, it cannot exist alone, like the Virtus Health example. It has to integrate with enterprise automation strategy and architecture and platforms, integrate, right, with your data engineering and data platforms as well, because they provide customer data privacy, right? And then they have to obviously look at it from a wider perspective, right? And not just use generative AI for everything because that's just not the right use case for generative AI. So organizations are now thinking about how 
how to drive productivity gains for sure and efficiency gains with the use of these technologies to improve customer satisfaction, to distill knowledge throughout the organization much faster, uh, and ultimately, not surprisingly, to drive new business models as well. And that's, I think, what we expect to see at least in the next one to two years. Anything to avoid in terms of what you've said? The usual things, actually, you'd be surprised, you know, when you think about technologies and you think about these new capabilities can gravitate towards the risks, right? And obviously the risk that some of these tools and models present. So yes, for sure, you know, we need to be ensure a good risk compliance and assurance capability, right? Whenever we look at new technologies, but more importantly, I think we need to think about a customer first approach still. We need to build the foundations with the right knowledge and skills, right? And of course, communication with the stakeholders as well. It was very clear in our early case studies of generative AI, it was the fact that most of the tech leaders spent tremendous amounts of time demonstrating and speaking to the business and the boards about how AI can help increase productivity and potentially, right, increase competitive advantage as well. So, you know, there's a fair amount of good old fashioned people and process skills that are still needed. Linus, thank you for joining us on Podchats for Future CIO. Thank you. Thank you, Alan and Melinda. That was Linus Lai, Vice President for Digital Business and Trust at IDC Asia Pacific on the topic of the CIO of the future. You are listening to Podcasts for Future CIO. As always, if you have a topic you'd like us to cover on this channel, simply email us at editors at society.com. We'd also like to invite you to sign up for a free weekly newsletter so you won't miss an episode of Podcasts for Future CIO. In the meantime, stay safe, have a great day, and see you on the next episode of Podcasts for Future CIO. Bye for now.